Protestant Reformation was one of the most important events in all of history. Not just church history, but all of history. At the heart of this movement was a desire to bring reform to the Roman Catholic Church, which was basically the church in the Western world. Through the study of Scripture, Martin Luther and others became convinced the Catholic Church was mistaken on some key, key areas of belief. For example, the Reformers were convinced that salvation was, was completely a matter of God's grace that we receive by faith alone with no mixture of good works. Also, Scripture was the sole source of authority in the life of the church, not on par with church tradition. And so the Reformers hoped that the Catholic Church would see these things and align more closely with Scripture. But their efforts were rebuffed and led to a massive and permanent splint, what is now called Protestantism. Overall, Protestantism, Protestantism was successful in reforming itself regarding beliefs about the nature of salvation and the source of authority in the church. While not as specific as those really central matters, another doctrine arose from the Reformation, which was also important. And that was the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. You say, what is that? Basically, it teaches that the church is comprised of priests. Those who stand as mediators between God and the world. And that view contrasted with the Catholic view of the time, which was modeled on the Old Testament priesthood and drew a strong distinction between the clergy and the laity. Catholics viewed the clergy as the mediators to the laity who were generally unable to read the Bible because it was written in Latin. The Reformers differed. They contended that now in the New Testament era, that the, the distinction, that sharp distinction was over. And that the notion of the priesthood now incorporates all believers. All believers are supposed to serve God and to represent God to the world. Yes, there are still church leaders that need to be around here, right? Like me. But leaders are there to equip the universal priesthood to serve. Now, things have improved, I would say, before the Reformation hit. But in many ways, the priesthood of believers has not been implemented enough. We affirm the priesthood of believers, but we don't fully practice it. The Reformation still kind of stands incomplete, I would say. Why do I say that? Well, research and experience show that uh, a small percentage of Christians, in general, do the majority of the ministry. For example, there's a Christian publisher named Group, and they estimated that 15% of Christians are active in ministry. That's not a priesthood of all believers, is it? That's a priesthood of some believers. 
Many Christians are just simply not engaged the way they're supposed to be, to be spreading the gospel and to be strengthening the church. There's an over-reliance on a few, namely typically the leaders, to carry out the work of the ministry. Our passage today provides, I think, perhaps the, the clearest biblical vision of what God has in store, what he has in his plans for the church, that it's not just some, but that it is all people, all people are supposed to be serving. A priesthood of all believers is what God desires for the church. And my prayer is that each of us might be gripped by this vision that is laid out here in 1 Peter so that all of us are saying to the Lord at the end of this message, Lord, are my hands, my head, my feet, everything is all of it being used to serve you and to represent Christ to the world. Because that is where I want to be. Amen? Amen. So let me invite you to 1 Peter as we continue our series on this remarkable book. We're going now into chapter 2. Well, we just started there a little bit last week, so we're in chapter 2 as we're going to be uh, walking through our passage here before us in verses 4 to 10. You're going to see really two key elements that are in this passage, the church in Christ. And Peter just bounces back and forth, almost kind of like ping pong between focusing on the church, focusing on Christ. Focusing on the church, focusing on Christ. I count seven times that he does this, okay? So for the sake of presentation, I'm just going to kind of break it down into these two key elements that Peter lays out here in our passage. First is Christ the living stone. You might have been picking up on that theme in some of the songs we've been singing so far, okay, about Christ as the stone. And then second, the church, the living stones, in the plural there. So as we're going to see, Christ is the cornerstone, and we depend upon him. So if you're with me there, uh, let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, found on page 1014. We're going to read verses 4 through 10 together. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Great passage that we have in front of us today. But let's look at that first part here. Christ the living stone. Christ the living stone. In verse 4, Peter calls Christ that exact thing. 
Christ the living stone, probably because of his resurrection in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, Jesus said of himself, I am the first and the last, the living one, right? I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. We serve a living Savior, amen? Sadly, though, as Peter says, Christ was rejected by men. But in the sight of God, Christ is precious and chosen. He is the chosen one who brings salvation to his people. Dropping down to verse 6, we see a little bit more imagery with Christ as the stone. Let's read it again. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter here is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 28, 16, applies it to Jesus. He calls Jesus the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? So if you're going to build something, you put in a cornerstone. It's the stone from which the whole building is supported. It's foundation. So what is the building that Peter's referring to here of which Christ is the cornerstone? He's talking about the church, right? He is the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2.20 specifically says Christ is the cornerstone. The entire church, all of it, all around the world, all through the ages, is built on who? Christ. He is the cornerstone. Now, there are two different responses to Christ that we see throughout this passage. Some believe, some reject. Some believe, some reject. As for those who reject, Peter began the passage in verse 4 by saying that Christ was rejected by men. Certainly not all reject Christ, but a lot do. And a lot of them included the religious leadership in Jesus' day and Peter's day. In verses 7 to 8, Peter quotes from Psalm 118 to speak of the builders who rejected the cornerstone. Let's look at those verses again. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined. So that verse from Psalm 118 is very important. It shows up in Jesus' ministry. When he's having a debate with some of the religious leaders, he quotes that very verse to indicate that he was going to still be the cornerstone of the church. A little bit later, after Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter's having a debate with the religious leaders again. He quotes from Psalm 118. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So Jesus is the stone that was rejected. But now, He is the cornerstone. As it says there in verse 8, they disobeyed the Word, which is the Gospel. We've been seeing that so far, haven't you guys been paying attention? I know you have, right? We've been seeing this notion of disobedience to the Word. It's not just that the Gospel is something we believe, but we're supposed to obey it. There's claims on our lives that the Gospel puts down that we're supposed to follow Christ. They weren't willing to do that. 
Peter adds this very fascinating detail in verse 8. Did you catch that? That though they willingly reject Jesus, they were also destined to do so? What does that mean? Well, Scripture teaches that people make genuine decisions to reject Christ. Nobody's a puppet, right? However, we see here that God appoints them for this rejection. Here's some good words from commentator Tom Schreiner. He says, Those who disbelieve stumble over their cornerstone, who is Christ. They stumble over Christ because they refuse to believe in Him and obey Him. People who stumble and disobey are responsible for their refusal to trust in Christ. And yet God has appointed without Himself being morally responsible for the sin of unbelievers that they will both disobey and stumble. You see a similar dynamic when Peter preaches that great sermon at, the, at Pentecost. He says these words in, in, in 2.23 of Acts. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus was killed by lawless men. They made that choice to go through with the crucifixion. But it was part of God's eternal plan. They would carry this out. You say, how does all of this fit together? I have no idea. I don't have the faintest clue. And you know what? Nobody else in this room does. And nobody ever will. No human can quite grasp the mystery that is going on with God's sovereignty and human responsibility that's taking place here in this passage. But you know what? God does. And it's not a mystery to God. He's not up there wondering, how did I do this? He's got it all figured out. This is an encouragement for a church that is suffering, that God is in control even in the midst of their suffering. Amen? Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Not all reject Him. Some believe, as it says in verse 6, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Since we believe in Christ, we will not be ashamed on Judgment Day. Why? Because Christ covers all of your sins. So no matter what you have done, friend, things that would be mortifying if we knew about those things, things that you're so ashamed of, things that you're so embarrassed of, horrible things that you've done that, 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 that grip you even to this day, you will not be ashamed because Christ covers all of those things. And before God, you are loved and embraced. No need for shame. But also, Peter also said something else. You will be honored in verse 7. Just as Christ was honored at the, his, resu as his resurrection, so too we're going to be honored at our resurrection on Judgment Day. That's quite a thought, isn't it? You being honored by God in front of all of His people on judgment day. Resurrection and rewards. That's what I'm living for. Amen? Not the applause of men that fades quickly, but the, the, the reward of God, the honor of God, that is what we should be living for. Amen? So friend, 
Where do you fall today? Even rock Christ, or do you reject Him? Do you believe in Him? You need to know Him, and you need to know Him as Redeemer, not as Judge. You're going to know Him as one or the other. If you want to know Him as Redeemer, Jesus tells you that you must turn from your sins. Meaning that you see the gravity of your sins. That yes, it really does matter. We violate the law of God and there's judgment that comes from that. We see from, from Scripture that we need to turn from our ways. And we also believe in Christ. But because of Christ, we have a way of forgiveness to wash away all of that sin. To be unashamed on Judgment Day. Because God sees you as His child has been washed clean of every single sin. Believe in Christ. Believe who He is. That He's God in human flesh who died for your sins that you might be You don't have to go through the class. You don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to perform different deeds to be in this place. You just simply have to bow your knee before the Lord and believe in Christ. You, my friend, will have peace with Him. Amen? Follow through with that today. Know Him as Redeemer, not as Judge. So the first element is Christ, the living stone. The second element is the church, the living stone. The church, the living stone. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage in verse 5 where it says of the church, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So Peter calls us living stones, which is kind of makes you stop there, right? Because stones aren't living, right? So he's obviously doing something with these words here. But we're living stones because of our faith in Christ, the living stone, the resurrected one. We are intricately connected to him, aren't we, as his people? But notice also, God is using these living stones to do what? To build a spiritual house. We're a spiritual house. What does that mean? Well, by house, I think he's clearly referring to the temple, right? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's temple was called his house, the house of God. So he's speaking about the temple here. But by spiritual, he's calling that spiritual because it is indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul echoes this reality that the church is the temple of God where the Holy Spirit indwells His people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Ephesians 1.21 and 22 says of the church, whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let me just ask you this question. Do you realize that we are the temple of God? And that that is incredibly significant. We are the temple of God. In the Old Testament, they they created that physical temple in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God resided, right? One location. Jesus, and that lasted for a long, long time. Jesus comes along. The, the, the presence of God in our midst. And he foreshadowed that something new was about to happen. And so when he died and was risen again and went to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit 
not just dwells amongst us, but dwells in us. We should never get over the all of that fact. Amen? I mean, there's just certain things that boggle your mind, right? This, this past week, we had some beautiful moons out there, didn't we? And I remember looking out one night and just thinking, how on earth did we send somebody to the moon? I mean, I know somebody really smart could sit and explain it to me, all the science of it. Like, I don't get it. How could we send somebody to the moon? That astounds me still to this day. And likewise, God has included us to be part of the greatest building project ever, right? This living, the living stones being made into a temple and the fact that He dwells in us. Wow, what a thought, amen? But we're not done. There's more. We're both a new temple and a new priesthood. In fact, God makes us a new temple so that we will be this new priesthood. Verse 5 again, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now again, there's this really rich Old Testament background. In the Old Testament, God chose Israel. He wanted them to be like this. He wanted them to be a priesthood to the world. He says after He delivered them from Egypt in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, He says these words to them. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Sadly, Israel overall kind of failed in this calling. And so God instituted a priesthood with just one of the twelve tribes, the tribe of Levi. They are the ones who carried out the sacrifices and taught the people. They served as mediators between God and Israel for about 1,500 years. But when Jesus comes along, He predicted that the temple would be destroyed, didn't he? And he predicted that the priesthood would be wiped away, and that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D. Jesus said, this is going to happen. It's exactly what took place. And even before the temple was destroyed, the church was already fulfilling these words of being a kingdom of priests to the world. You see, there's not, it's not that there was anything wrong about the Old Testament system, but it has now been replaced with greater promises and greater realities that Jesus predicted and had fulfilled by His life. And so get this, friend, as you're sitting here listening today, I want you to know that this is for all people, right? All believers, regardless of your age, your race, your gender, your education, all believers share this priesthood. That's another one of those, wow, what a thought. So there's no need for a special class of believers who stand between you and the Lord as if they have a special privilege that you don't have. I don't have a special privilege that you don't have as a pastor. I don't. I have a role in the church, but I don't have this, I don't have in my office, just in case you're wondering, I don't have a special phone. 
you know, a red phone or something like that. I don't have that. I have the same that you guys have. We are a priesthood of believers. There is a important place for leaders to equip the priesthood, but the whole church is the priesthood. We all have access to God through Christ, and all of us are supposed to represent Him to the world. Now, in the Old Testament, the priesthood offered various grain and animal sacrifices. But as it says in verse 5, we offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, we know that we're not offering grain and animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus fulfilled all the sacrifices. So there's not a need for that. And so when he talks about spiritual sacrifices, again, I think he's what he's getting at is talking about the things that we do that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think what he's getting at here is that our whole lives are sacrifices to God. We are living sacrifices. Friends, everything you say, everything you do is meant to be an offering to the Lord. Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, Lord, our whole life is yours. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to live that way. Be a representative of you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 16 says that our words, and our words and actions are sacrifices. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, speaking of praise, this leads to the final purpose that Peter tells us in verses 9 and 10. Let's read these together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So what's our purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God chose us to praise him. We're to praise him. We're to praise Him for who He is, and we're to praise Him for His marvelous salvation now and for the rest of eternity. God is infinitely worth every single praise that we could ever offer to Him. So, priesthood of believers, hear me out. When we gather here on Sunday, and you're going to like this, Sam, we should praise Him, right? We should praise the Lord. And I'm grateful, just listening here this morning, I'm grateful that our church sings out. We should. We should blow the roof off of this place. Not being loud for loud's sake, but because we have so many reasons to be grateful for what God has done in our lives. Amen? And so when we gather together here on Sunday and the music starts playing, our hearts should be stirred to want to praise the Lord. You can thank me later, Sam, for that. <laughs> but I also think, as important as Sunday morning is, 
should be praising you throughout our lives. I realize that just Praising God more just throughout the day. Praising Him for who He is. So many wonderful attributes. Praising Him for what He did on the cross. What He's done throughout salvation history. Praising Him that He made it real in my life. Praising Him for what He's done in the lives of everybody around me. The things that He is doing. Man, thank You, Lord. Praise You for what You've done. He has chosen us so that we would praise Him. I believe God also chose us to proclaim Him to the world, to share the Gospel. We need to remember that we were called out of darkness, spiritual darkness, and brought into His kingdom of light. Once we didn't know that mercy, but God showed His mercy. If you know the Lord today, you know that He showed mercy to you. You didn't earn it, but He showed you mercy, right? He wants us to pass on the message of the gospel to those around us. What an awesome privilege and responsibility that you and I have. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, you know, I want to grow in this, Pastor, but this is a challenge for me. Let me just lay out three ways, three steps, if you will, for you to kind of grow in trying to proclaim Him to the world, knowing we need to be sharing the gospel. But here's some just practical steps for all of us that we can be growing in this very important part of being a priesthood of believers, of representing God to the world. Here's one way. Serve on the welcome team. Serve on the welcome team. Say, who, who's the welcome team? What do they do? Well, the welcome team greets people as they enter into this building. And when we gather here, there's a lot of folks who are regulars, but a lot of times there's visitors. And visitors might have questions about the church. And perhaps they're not Christians, right? And so this is a great way of representing Christ to the world. By the way, by the way, it's not just the welcome that needs to welcome all the visitors, right? Everybody should be taking that role. We should not have a case. Someone comes and visits our church. Nobody says anything to them. That should never happen. Today, we are very blessed today to have some special visitors. We have Hal and Sharon Holler. I didn't know they were going to be here today, but they showed up here today. Sorry, man. <laughs> Sorry, it was your special day. Picked the wrong Sunday. <laughs> but Hal preached here a couple months ago, if you remember, when I had COVID, and he stepped in on very short notice and gave a tremendous message. Hal serves at the Baptist Convention of New England. I don't remember your exact title. <laughs> Associate Executive Director. He, he serves under Terry Dorsett as the lead person there. Hal's been doing a fabulous job. So he's actually a plant, though, today. I wanted to see count how many people say hi to you today, okay? <laughs> no, we promise we won't swarm you. We don't want to swarm guests, but we do want to welcome them, amen? They are so valuable when they are here. Secondly, pray for someone in your life who needs to know about the gospel. Pray for them regularly and trust God to open doors for you to share the gospel. You be the one to stand right between them and the Lord. Intercede for them. And trust God to open those doors. And then lastly, 
serve with our church's advanced outreaches. We've had some hurdles here in recent months, um, but we're looking forward to this year, really ramping up our church's outreach efforts, and we truly want everyone to participate and be a part of it. It's not a responsibility of just a few, but it's a priesthood of believers representing Christ to the world. So going back to the beginning of the message, Protestant Reformation, as I said, it's incomplete. Not quite there. Let us complete what was started. And as a priesthood of believers, let us serve the church, the whole world, glory. Lord Jesus, we thank You this morning. You are the living stone. You died and You rose again. Give us hope. We thank You how You are the fulfillment of all of these promises, all of these institutions we see in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the temple, the priesthood. You bring it all together. And we praise You for that. We praise You for the living hope that You bestow to us. We praise You, God, for taking us, making us part of this great building project that You're carrying out. Living stones, constructing this spiritual temple. People of God. Lord, we pray this morning that You would help us to know and to savor our identity as a priesthood of all believers. Every single person matters. All have gifts and abilities, background, experience that you can use to bring you glory and honor. We love you, Lord. We want to proclaim you to the world. Lord, for someone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you, we pray today would be the day of salvation. Humble themselves. We want to know you as Redeemer, not as Judge while the day of salvation is still available. May you work hearts and minds today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.